This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, at the moment, COP27 is taking place in Egypt in a resort uh, called Sharm El Sheikh, and it's a two-week conference, and uh, there is an annual COP conference, uh, COP26, you might remember, was when Boris was prime minister, and there was great fanfare, and he's invaded COP27 as well. But more importantly, speaking at the opening of the conference, UN General Secretary Antonio Guterres said that the world is on a highway to climate hell, and we have our foot on the accelerator. That's a direct quote from the United Nations chief. And one has to say, looking at the world around us and the changes and the tragedies arising from climate change, he's not wrong. It's a pleasure now to welcome to the stand one of our most important climate campaigners, John Gibbons. He's an environmental journalist and commentator, and nobody has done more than John over the years to alert us to the dangers of climate change. John, it's some way back when you started to write about this and talk about it and make it very clear where we were heading. In 2022, it looks like, and the UN General Secretary agrees, we've reached a bad place and things are getting worse quicker. Yeah, Absolutely, Eamon, and uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, yes, we're where we don't want to be. There's no question about that. Um, we're, to use that old political phrase, we're on a journey, but we're on a journey to a very, very dangerous place. I guess I'm on this, I'm on this beat, uh, for around about 15 years. Uh, and I suppose I really, the penny dropped with me probably in the early 2000s about this. Yes. And, uh, so I kind of went into the public domain on it probably 2007, 2008. And over that time, Eamon, I, I, 
I literally can't believe my eyes at how quickly the situation has deteriorated globally. Um, you know, I, I remember being accused of, in many studios on many occasions of being alarmist, of, of uh, you know, ringing the bell, as they say, uh, in an undue way and uh, hyping up climate change as, as if I had something to gain by doing that. Uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm sorry to say that um, the... The prognostications that I was setting out at that time, uh, and, and when I say me, I'm merely saying I was reflecting the science as I understood it at that yes. time. This is absolutely not about my opinions. Uh, not only has it come to pass, but it, it really is probably on the, if you were to take a spectrum, uh, it's definitely on the, 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 the more extreme end of the spectrum of outcomes that we expected. And I'm taking a 15-year view. Now, in climate terms, typically you take a 30-year view to get a sense of how the system is, is uh, functioning, if you like. And if you take that 30-year view, in fact, that 30-year view, Eamon, works quite well because it takes us back to the start of the COP processes in the yes. early 90s. Now, over that period, obviously, governments have met through the COP process uh, 27 times. Uh, the world has agreed uh, all the way back to 1992 that global warming represents an existential threat to human civilization, and we need to basically deal with it. Now, briefly, what has happened since we came to that uh, understanding 30 years ago is that we have ejected in the, that 30 years more CO2 and CO2 equivalents into the global atmosphere than in all of human history up to 1992. That's yes. how we have dealt. We have basically put petrol on the fire. And what breaks my heart is we knew about it. Now, people will, you know, people listening to the show today will say, oh, I didn't know about that. What's, what are you talking about? I assure you, the politicians have understood this issue. The oil companies have understood this issue. The policymakers have understood this issue for yes. at least 30 years, Eamon, and I would argue closer to 50 years. And I'm afraid uh, it has been business as usual. I think the, Antonio Guterres used the phrase, he said, we're on the highway to climate hell and we're slamming our foot on the accelerator. Just let me read you a quote from one of the delegates at COP27 yesterday. Here it is. The wider challenge is that historically, climate change has tended to slip off the policy agenda when other crises emerge. And I think that is at least to some extent happening at this moment. And the other challenges that we can think of at the moment, immediate challenge, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the COVID pandemic that engulfed the whole world, the economic crisis that's facing us at the moment. And there is always a crisis. And as we both know, and I'm sure our listeners know, uh, politicians respond to the crisis of the moment. And this big fundamental crisis of climate change needs space and time and application, but it keeps slipping down the agenda as we deal with today rather than tomorrow. Yeah, I think that's a fair uh, summation, Eamon, I really do. Um, I often think of the old Father Ted uh, joke about the difference between small and far away. Uh, yes. Climate change is one of those uh, things that gives the mistaken impression uh, of being small because of its relative distance in time and space. But unfortunately, uh, that gap between, if you like, 
the projections, the scientific uh, calculations and reality is closing really fast. And probably uh, something that your listeners may be aware of, uh, we've now discovered that uh, the continental mass of Europe is warming twice as fast as the global average. So this idea, which I think a lot of Irish people have secretly kind of clung on to as, as something comforting, and that is the, the idea is that climate change happens in places far away that we've probably never been to, and we don't really in truth care that much about. Places like Pakistan. Okay, they're going underwater. Gee, that's terrible, but I've never been to Pakistan, yes. right? The Horn yes. of Africa ah, breaks my heart, but you know what? I've never been to the Horn of Africa, so I don't care. I think the I'm all right Jack-ism has really, I think we've all been bought into the I'm all right Jack. And that's why I think it's come as quite a, a surprise and a shock, I think, to a lot of complacent Europeans, and I include us in that, to discover that our continent is not only is it not immune to climate impacts, but it may in fact be hypersensitive to climate impacts. Now, our neighboring island, Eamon, as you know, this year, for the first time ever, breached 40 degrees centigrade on the yes. island of Britain. Now, I didn't know that. Yeah, I've seen climate calculations that it was estimated that if we weren't careful, uh, temperatures in Britain could start breaching 40 degrees into the 2030s. They did it in 2022. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, well just want, I just want to make uh, or underline the point you've just made, John, uh, Matthew Jeb was disturbed to find at the Botan Botanic Gardens the other day, he's one of the people who works there, to find a pear tree in full bloom. He found this a couple of weeks ago, the deciduous tree, it's a native to China and Vietnam, normally flowers in early spring. This is the first time we have seen this in our collection. It's completely out of kilter with the seasons. That may seem like nothing, but it is very dramatic, isn't it? Yeah, that what you've described there is indicative of the fact that the, if you like, nature's clock is completely out of whack. The seasons are breaking down yes. and animals and plants, they, they do a really delicate dance between them. The times of, of uh, particular uh, plant flowering versus a uh, insects appearing versus uh, birds laying their eggs. All of these nature is in this finely balanced dance, and that dance has evolved over thousands, tens of thousands of years. We've broken that cycle. Nature now doesn't, basically, the animal kingdom doesn't, and the plant kingdom doesn't know what's going on. It's basically out of whack. And what you've described there is being replicated across the natural world in a million and a billion different ways where the natural system is now, apart from the, the direct human impacts of land use change and deforestation and all the other pressures that we've applied to the natural world, we're now basically breaking nature's clock and it's moving more and more out of sync. And what that means basically is, let's say a particular bird lays its eggs at a particular time and that th those, those chicks depend on caterpillars appearing at a particular time. Now, that changes. Those chicks are born. There are no caterpillars. The chicks die. That's what we mean. So we get cascading collapses of populations sweeping through as nature goes out of sync. And, and you very succinctly described it there in one example. But I, I've personally heard of a hundred more examples of nature going out of synchrony. And it's, 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 it's quite devastating. When we look at the political leadership in the world, take Bolsonaro 
who has just lost, thank God, the election in Brazil. But when he was in power for a decade, he uh, chopped the forests down. They were called the er the lungs of the earth. But the rainforests, he just chopped it down to make room for cattle at feeding and all of that. He was, I think you could say, a, a, an environmental vandal, but he was a powerful man. Donald Trump has expressed uh, skepticism about global warming, and he may come back. And we have our own local politicians as well. I won't name the man I have in mind, but uh, he is a member of Dáil Éireann, and he th he thinks all this talk of climate change is a load of nonsense. He is an he is an elected rep representative. So if you if you range from someone in Dáil Éireann dissing the idea of climate change to Bolsonaro and all the sort of idle monsters in between, it's going to prove and is proving impossible to find any consensus. Isn't that? This, the, the real and serious problem, John? It's certainly one of them, Eamon. I mean, obviously, we don't need a consensus of people to verify a scientific fact. I think there's sometimes confusion that, that in politics we need everyone to agree on something. We don't. Reality right. doesn't actually care whether or not you accept it. Uh, reality just happens with or without your, your, your consent or your acceptance. So let's, let's take that as a given. We still have, as you correctly say, we still have this, this enormous lag in the political system. And there are people in Ireland and beyond who, for their own reasons, whether they're ideological, whether they're financial, or whether because they've been captured by lobby groups, which, of course, in Ireland is a huge problem. Yes. Uh, basically, yeah, they will, they will sing the tune that says, oh, this has all happened before, and it's all natural cycle, and it's sunspots, and it's yada, yada, yada. Of course, I mean... This, we've seen this time and time again. And I would say we have much less of a problem in Ireland of outright climate denial. Uh, yes. As you say, in, in America, ideologically and tragically, the, the Republican Party went down the path probably about 15 to 20 years ago of aligning opposition to global warming based purely on political choice and nothing to do with the science. And that's a shame because if you go back, say, two or three decades, there was very little difference between your average Republican and your average Democrat in terms of their acceptance of basic physics. That has changed and that's that's tragic. And that, of course, has, has led to uh, people like Bolsonaro being being empowered. And and I think in the midst of all the bad news, uh, Eamon, I think I'm glad you brought up the, the defeat of Bolsonaro because that has bought us a little bit of time. It, it, it is tremendous. It's the best news I've heard this year. Now, maybe, maybe by the time the midterms, uh, we know what's happened there. Maybe that'll all be yes. undone again. But at the moment, that's something that I cling to is a, a more progressive, a less destructive, a less ecocidal uh, regime in, in uh, Brazil. And of course, the, the people who have most to fear from this are the younger generations. And you sent me uh, some information which was extremely helpful and valuable. And one of the things you sent me about is about Ireland. And you point out that the top 1%, of the world's most wealthy people account for almost half of all global emissions. Overall emissions produced by the 5 million Irish people are equivalent to the total emissions produced by over 300 million in sub-Saharan Africa. That is an astonishing fact that 
helps to put into perspective some of the arguments against uh, legislation that's been that, that, that the Irish government has tried to bring in. For example, people resented not being able to cut their own turf. And if you didn't know the facts, you'd know the importance, that, and that fact I've just read out, you'd know the importance of even the simple matter of cutting turf. But also, we have a huge herd of 7 million beef and dairy cattle, and they produce massive amounts of methane, a powerful heat-trapping gas. And that's our problem, is it not? That, John, that, that they will say to you, if you chide them and say, look, guys, you can't be doing this. And they'll say, look at China, look at Russia, look at whatever. And they look around the world and they won't understand the role that they have to play and the sacrifices they have to make, even if it's for their own children. Yeah. It, it- it puzzles me in, in a sense, Eamon, because most of us we make great sacrifices for our kids uh, in terms of you know, yes. redu- reduced income. We, we channel a lot of our income into their education. We spend heavily on our kids. We also, by the way, we spend on our own pensions, on our future, because we think long. we're capable of thinking longer term. Yet, when it comes to something like, like the, the, the climate situation, all our faculties seem to desert us and instead we get stuck basically in the here and the now. I was listening for example to a Fine Gael junior minister Martin Hayden on the radio yesterday and he was explaining why we can't touch uh, our national herd if I can call it that our, yeah. our 7 million plus cattle. As he explained he said we need quote a sensible dialogue on achieving zero hunger by 2030 and bless him he was in some way equating this vast uh, dairy and beef herd as having something to do with easing global hunger when we know in fact that that's exactly the opposite of where we need to be in terms of addressing global hunger so it is i understand uh, it's often been said and i'm sure you've heard the phrase that it's difficult to get somebody to understand something when their income depends on them not understanding something and yes. this is the problem we see time and time again uh, especially with politicians who feel uh, if you like beholden to uh, interest groups and the difference Eamon, is this and I'm sure we've seen this in many areas. You know, the public good, which is like dealing with climate change, everyone agrees this is a good thing. But the public is a very, it's like a diffuse gas. It's, 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 the public is everywhere and the public is nowhere. However, vested interest groups are tight, well-organized, well-financed, and able to hammer on the minister's door. And they've yes. got the, they've got the ministerial advisors on speed dial. They're listening out to radio programs and podcasts. They're sending in criticisms. They're, they're getting on to radio producers every day of the week. They're pushing yes. the buttons of power. And so the ability of concentrated pockets of vested interest to overcome the common good for all of us is something it's a, I suppose it's a tragedy of our time and again this is absolutely the case in Ireland as well where we've seen as I say tight well-organized well-financed politically protected pockets of power put aside all their concerns about the future and what gets me is many of these people are you know their parents their grandparents they I guess they care as much about their children as anybody else, yet they're unable to connect their duty of care to their own kids, to the future, with what they do at work. They think that they do not bring their conscience to work. They think that they can can just hack for a particular 
lobby group or a particular vested interest, no matter how much damage it's done. And basically, and I suppose also, I guess we live in this era of post-truth, where almost no matter yes. what you say, somebody will come back with something they found on the internet to tell you the exact opposite, with the result that for the general public, uh, confusion reigns and the lobbies continue. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, John, for somebody... Like you, and indeed for for me, uh, and I'm nothing like you because you have dedicated yourself to this vital cause for a very long time, decades. Whereas for me, it's just something that passes me by now and again. It seems from my reading of the situation that we are on a passage or on a path to self-destruction. We are going to destroy this planet. And the warning from Antonio Guterres, the UN uh, Secretary General yesterday, was not hyperbole. He said humanity is on a highway to climate hell, and we have put our foot on the accelerator. Now, when you think about this quietly, John, as somebody who's campaigned for 30 years on this, are you tempted to be fatalistic? Because when I look at it, I cannot see a way, really, that the consensus required to beat this problem will ever 
emerge? Okay, well, first of all, Eamon, I'm, I'm actually only on, on, the, on the job for 15 years. And the reason I, I say that is I was a, a regular civilian up until, I guess, the early 2000s. So I lived the first part of my life in blissful ignorance of this subject. Yes. Uh, I call it the quiet and, and uh, uh, let's say, happy part of my life. Well, that, well let's say un, uninformed on this issue. So that's the first thing I would say. Now, I understand what you're saying, and, and I do get it. In fact, Michal Martin uh, this morning warned against uh, the, quote, language of doom uh, coming into our discussions. And he yes. said, it, you know, and... My response to that is, you know, to politicians like Michal Martin, who I, I believe is a very decent human being. Forget about his politics. That and he made it. a good speech. He did. Now, yeah. I would say to politicians like Michal Martin, don't tell us to cheer up. Tell us what you can do. Show us how you can actually help to fix this. And I don't expect any one politician to fix this by themselves. And we have to look as well at the, the incoming government. Who's going to be the next government? Where, where are they on this? So, you know, this remains this this sort of vast, all-encompassing, pressing down crisis all around us. It's, as I mentioned, it's sort of like it's everywhere and yet it's nowhere and very yes. difficult to put a finger on. Now, if we succumb to doom and doomism, if we sort of throw our hat at this aim and say, look, it's all done for and we might as well just, you know, uh, give up, then what we've engaged in is a self-fulfilling prophecy. That yes. means all the danger points, the 1.5 degrees, the 2 degrees, the 2.5, the 3 degrees, these will come and they will sweep us away. Human civilization, as we currently understand it, will not exist in a world of 2, 2.5, 3 degrees centigrade. Everything yes, and that somebody at the conference yesterday, somebody, one of the leaders of the movement to govern this said that we would reach three degrees this century. Now, the century is almost a quarter through, but if we reach 2.5 degrees, it was estimated before that we'd be in big trouble, big, big trouble. Two and a half catastrophic. The targets set in Paris uh, uh, when... Obama was there and he was putting his shoulder to the wheel. The target of 1.5 degrees was set. What's the, the upper limit, John? Where are we now? Right, Eamon. Well, first of all, where we're actually at today, we're at a global average uh, plus 1.2. Right. right now, that varies, of course, because that covers the sea and the land surface. The land surface has already uh, heated by an average of 1.9 degrees. Right, and in Europe, it's even beyond that; it's over two degrees. So, um, so we're already within uh, whistling distance of the 1.5, um, if you like, uh, guardrail. Now, can we hold below 1.5? And not if we continue to eject 50 billion uh, tons of uh, heat-trapping gases into the atmosphere every year. So and that 1.5, sorry, John, yeah. just uh, to clear, that 1.5 target was for 2050, correct? Well, it's it's basically forever, Eamon. This is the point. Yes. You know, we, it, yes. This, these are not targets for decades. These are targets for the rest of human civilization, right? Yes. We, if, if our intention here is to maintain, if you like, planetary living conditions uh, compatible with uh, the way humans have existed, say, for the last 10,000 years, then we need to keep it below 1.5. Now, unfortunately, uh, all estimates are that we're not going to do that. Let's say between 2015 and 2022, 
we've ejected about another 350 billion tons of heat trapping gases. Uh, that's about a third of a trillion. Now, 2021, after a slight hiatus uh, for the, for the uh, pandemic in 2020, 2021, we ejected more heat trapping gases into the atmosphere than in all, than any other year in human history. So yes. that foot on the accelerator, there is no indication. And of course, you described the Ukrainian crisis earlier. Uh, there's no indication whatsoever that there's any intention or understanding of the need to hit the brakes at some stage or to understand why we need to do it and when we need to do it. So we're heading certainly for uh, two degrees, uh, 2.5, three degrees. This is where we're heading. And I, as I mentioned a moment ago, anything above 1.5 and particularly anything above two degrees is simply not compatible with how we live. Our systems will not survive it. Our, the, the, for example, our global food system is already creaking under the strain of these high temperatures. Uh, France lost a third of its grain harvest this year because of high temperatures. A third. Ukraine, yes. obviously, the, there are different circumstances there. But right around the world, between a combination of extended drought uh, and also, of course, deluges. This is what we're getting, Eamon, is the double curse of drought in one area and downpours yes. and deluges in the other. Even in so-called temperate Ireland, we're seeing that our winters are getting wetter and warmer yes. and our summers are drying out. And even our springs and our autumns sometimes are extremely dry, presenting huge challenges uh, for agriculture. So we know that these changes are, and all of that, by the way, has happened at global 1.1, 1.2. If you add yes. another degree to that, you basically take us out of the safe living space, not just for humans, but also, of course, for uh, the rest of the of the natural world. And I suppose if I can do a very brief detour into philosophy here, we sometimes forget that we are part of the natural world. I know we yes. don't behave like it, Eamon, but we're as much a part of the natural world as any other creature from the largest yes. to the smallest. Yet we have created this artificial world that has disconnected us from the cycles and the, 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 the pulses, if you like, of nature around us. And that disconnection is fatal because animals adjust themselves, their behavior, etc., to signals that they get from nature. We have yes. inured ourselves behind our yes. double glazing, behind our walls, behind our car doors to the signals and the sounds of nature. So as a result, we've become tone deaf to the, the screaming alarm sirens coming from the natural world that are already putting our fellow creatures uh, into, into, I suppose, uh, severe retreat on so many fronts. And, you know, it, it, we talked about, uh, if you like, stewardship and, and the future. Uh, I don't know. It, it seems extraordinary to me that such a clever species, such a, uh, you know, we, we're so ingenious. That we've created so many wonderful things. Yet, when it comes to the, to the Beecher's Brook, to the big fence, if you like, and that is yes. having the humility, having the, the self-awareness to realize that we've hit our limits and to say, how can we engineer a safe future within planetary limits? This is what the science is saying to us, Eamon. We have this thing called the nine planetary boundaries. They set out how the planetary systems, how they're coping uh, and where the boundaries are. Now, to date, we have breached six of the nine planetary boundaries. Let right. me put it this way. If I were a doctor and you were my patient and you were the planet, I would say, Eamon, your liver is shot. Your lungs yeah. are shot. Your spleen yeah. is shot. 
right? Your yeah. kidneys are shot. Now your heart is, is not great, but it's hanging in there. And I don't think you'd be leaving the surgery saying, ah, that's not so bad. I've, I've got yeah. a couple of organs that are still working. I think you'd be saying, oh my God, what can I do about this? I think I, I need, I need urgent intervention. And that's where we're at as, as a, as a species. In fact, that this is far beyond our species. Those planetary limits, by the way, apply to all life on Earth. And we've pushed those so far. Uh, and yet, you know, people listen to us today now who say, ah, yeah, sure, it'd be grand. Uh, it'll, it'll all work itself out. And this has all happened before. We have had, the only time that we've had anything remotely like what's happening at the moment was what was called the end Permian mass extinction event. This is about 252 million years ago. At that time, and it did take place, by the way, over thousands of years, this is compressed yes. into decades. Uh, by the end of that extinction event, about 90% of all life on Earth was wiped out. And Earth was quiet for about 10 to 15 million years after that catastrophe. And yes, that catastrophe was not caused by humans. There are other uh, causes for natural catastrophes. The d issue this time is that we are driving this particular sixth extinction. This ca catastrophe is driven by human actions. And yet we're, we're aware of them. We're aware. I mean, you, in the past, no other species could possibly have been aware as to why, why the, the climate was crumbling around them. Yet we are. We understand it. And yet we do nothing. So we may become the first species in world history to actually put ourselves out of business and knowingly do it, which is a hell of a legacy. Okay, John, we're very grateful to you. You write for the Irish Times occasionally and you write also for the Daily Mirror, wrote an excellent piece for the Daily Mirror, which I Mirror, which I read, and fair play to for publishing it. We're very grateful to you for joining us. I'm sure that people listening to what you've got to say will respond and find a response in their own personal life. I certainly will do. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. John Gibbons is an environmental journalist and commentator, and what he has to say is the most, it's the most important issue facing the world at the moment, and particularly facing the younger generations. We're grateful to John, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.